And the day I realized there's no such thing as no fear, there's only if I want no fear, I got to get to no fear. K and O W. Over the years, I've received many inquiries regarding using unbeatable mind training in schools and prisons and for veterans with PTSD amongst other places. And I've always wanted to say yes to every one of these important initiatives, but I didn't have the bandwidth, the business model, or the resources to support those requests. Until now. That's why I'm excited to announce the launch of the new Courage Foundation. Courage is a 501c3 nonprofit which will positively impact people suffering who could benefit from resiliency and self-awareness training, but don't have the means or the ability to access it. Now, there's going to be many ways you can help going forward, but right now, we need to get this initiative off the ground and to fund what we've already started with the prison system and our PTSD outreach. So we're doing an online auction to kickstart our 2017 efforts. So please help out by participating in this auction by going to the link below or to our website at www.couragefoundation.net. There you can also make a tax-deductible donation through the website. Thank you so much for caring and for being part of the solution to these major challenges that we face. Together, we can make this campaign and the Courage Foundation a big success and have a huge impact on those in need. Thank you and hoo Hey folks, Mark Devine with the Unmutable Mind Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. We've got a terrific friend and uh, expert in many different martial arts disciplines here and expert in mental toughness and in the science of um, the mental science of fighting, Tony Blauer. But before we get started, please go to iTunes and rate the podcast when you have time so that other folks can find us when they Google like Tony Blauer and his world famous podcast comes up, then ours will show up, you know, because we're related somehow, you know, through SEO or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, listen, Tony is the founder of the SPEAR system, and I'm not going to try to remember what the acronym right, is right now. Also, uh, High Gear, am I yep. right with that? Yep, developer, High Gear. High Gear, which is like a self-defense red man suit, where I'm going to talk about that. Uh, developer of uh, CrossFit self-defense, mm-hmm. and um, all-around leader in the field of uh, combatives and the science, the mental side of the fight. And so we're going to have a really interesting discussion on all of that. And I've known Tony for years and actually has been on this podcast uh, a couple of years ago before we yeah. even called yeah. it a podcast. Maybe one or two times, yeah. Is that right? Okay. I think so. But it's been a while. It's Lots changed while. since yeah. then, especially your hair. It's amazing. It's <laughs> like I've grown my hair You've finally. grown your hair out. It's looking even yeah. wilder. Yeah, wilder. Yeah. I wouldn't want to meet you in a dark alley with that hair, man. I'd be worried. They're probably wearing a hood. So of course. See, of course. So. <laughs> so how you been, Tony? It's good to I'm, see you. I'm man. good, man. I'm good, man. I'm really excited. Like your unbeatable mind's taken off, and uh, <laughs> and I think what 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 prompted this was I got an email from somebody who's if you keep a, going. Then I'm going to flinch. I'll keep my hands over here. Uh, I got an email from somebody who's a. Uh, uh, you know, one of one of the participants in your program and a big fan of yours, and and actually 
not didn't even know that I lived in Encinitas and that we knew each other. Oh, said, no kidding. Yeah, and, he, and it was like, hey, have you ever heard of Mark Divine, Unbeatable Mind? I think, man, you guys would really, you know, hit it off if you, you guys should talk and everything. And, and so my answer to him was I, I copied the, uh, the URL for right. the show we did. And I said, uh, yeah, check this out, right? And it was kind of funny. And then I said, I got to get in touch. My travel schedule, your travel schedule, we haven't connected. And we live yeah, so close. So. That's right. So um, last time, I have no idea what we talked about. <laughs> I think so, we just ramble when we, we talk. just completely like ramble. Yes, yeah, like we, yeah. we both we both just went off on all these tangents. But so we're allowed to assume that most folks listening don't know who Tony Blower is. So um, you were born in a log cabin. <laughs> you were born in a log cabin raised down by, by the river, raised right. by wolves, right? right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or was it? <laughs> Tell us the story about when you escaped from uh, Lompoc prison. <laughs> it was Alcatraz. Not, oh, Alcatraz. Not Lompoc, yeah. <laughs> And it was me and Sean Connery. Right. And, oh, uh, right. Okay. <laughs> Enough on that. Um, so you are a Southern California guy, right? I finally am. And guess what? Uh, next week, I'm actually going to be sworn in as an American citizen. No kidding. Yeah. You've been Canadian all this time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, a green card. How'd you get here. away for so long just on a green card, <laughs> milking off the American I'd, system? Basically, I've just been uh, uh, hiding in the trunk of your car and just uh, eating scraps of food. I wonder what that smell was. <laughs> God. Worst podcast ever for me. <laughs> Best for him. You know, if you could see the video, you see that we've got a bottle of whiskey in front of us. And right. <laughs> Half a bottle. Half a bottle. At this no, point. Just um, kidding. Yeah. So no, I, I uh, uh, moved to the States in 2008 okay. and uh, you know, had a green card and set up our, 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 our company here and was waiting until you have to wait a certain amount of years before you can apply for citizenship. So you were, um, that was 2008, you, apparently you had been involved in self-defense for many years before. Yeah, it's, it's going on. I've been teaching 36 years now. Okay. So I started, so I'm 56 and I started like wrestling, competitive wrestling when I was in elementary school. And then I got into Taekwondo and martial arts and got into boxing and, and I was just a fanatic for it. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just something I've always, always been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and really how I got started in, you know, and it's funny because, you know, some people might go, well, how do you start your own system? Right. And well, everybody's doing it now. Like there's all these RBSD reality based self-defense. Most of them knocked off the spirit system. (laughs) Um, There's a lot. And you've 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 noticed you've emailed me a couple of times going, is this one of your guys? You know, and and, uh, um, there's a lot of people don't even understand. I saw ironically, I saw a uh, a guy doing a a video where he's talking about the OODA loop and Hicks law. And the worst demo I've ever seen of somebody copying what we do clearly didn't understand, you know, what we did. And it's embarrassing. It was kind of a private talk because I understand why people sometimes go spear a shit because they see something like that. Right. And, and, and they go, back. Yeah. But, but or they go, oh, he must be one of Blower's instructors or this is spear. Um, it's there's no substance to it. You know, uh, I, I always talk about in our train the trainer program, we talk about the illustrious subject matter expert and mm-hmm. tell people like, hey, an expert is somebody who's memorized someone else's material. It's not a big deal. Everybody can be an expert, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and what we get into uh, is, is the substance. And it's no different. It's why we've, we've stayed connected. Well, new things like spirit, to me, you know, from my perspective and, and my experience, come from like deep, deep mastery of a subject 
i.e. knowing how to fight, what works, what doesn't, having tested many, many things that didn't work, then teaching, right? And then simultaneously studying everything there is in the subject, right? And then out of that comes a new interpretation, because this is all filtered through the brain of Tony sure. Blower, which we know is a very interesting place. And, and out of that comes a new interpretation of a specific set of principles and skills that haven't been presented before. Now, everything, all the nuts and bolts are wrong, because there's really nothing new under the sun, in my opinion. You know what right. I mean? But the way it's brought together and presented is, is new, because you've mastered the subject at such a deep level, plus you've studied everything everyone else has done. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, out of, out of respect to everything out there, it's, it's, it's weird. It's like if you learn how to play guitar, you can play piano, bass, mm -hmm. uh, drum. You, you really, it's, now it's about learning the technique of that. But you understand, the key is here, you understand music. Yeah. And I understood music as the metaphor here. I understood um, the music fear of, of, and fighting. Right. And, and, but there was something very different in what gave birth to Spear. And it was, it was truly uh, uh, um, a, a visceral experimentation. It wasn't a theoretical exper mm -hmm. ex experiment. And uh, I used to, I didn't know why, you know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night with an idea for a drill. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and and uh, maybe there was uh, I was having a nightmare about a fight where everyone was in regular speed and I was in slow motion, and 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 I would think about it; it would consume me. Um, my pursuit of martial arts was really about understanding fear mm -hmm. and understanding uh, how to manage fear, and and it was always connected to random spontaneous. Do you, do you violence. think this was because you had an um, unrealistic? Or some sort of fear-based experience yourself. I mean, was it your I, fear that that prompted you to study fear? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and I've and I've I've superficially written about this in a couple of blogs, where where I explain that that I I studied fighting. Remember, I said like my fear. I didn't have like a fear of failing a math test. I didn't have a fear that I was going to get kidnapped by aliens. It was. <laughs> I can remember like at, at being six years old and walking somewhere and going, I wonder what would I do if someone was behind that corner? It's like, like six years old in the 60s, 1966. You're not thinking about those things, right? It's, you know, it's at least... I wasn't. I, you know, I was and I thought it was weird. Yeah. So I thought that I had more fear than anyone should be having. Uh, and I didn't know what to do with it. But it was always connected to some sort of violence. And, and I remember, remember uh, uh, Bruce Lee and the Green Hornet mm -hmm. and James West from Wild Wild West. So these were like big shows in the 60s. Yeah, Wild Wild West was a favorite of mine. Yeah, and, and, and I remember, you know, I'd watch a show and I'd watch a show and go to school, homework. And, and whenever there was fighting on a show, I'd be like this. Whenever there was fighting, it, I was transfixed. And somehow, like in that moment, I went like that that might help me understand why I've got this fear. Because remember, it wasn't, I didn't have anxiety. It wasn't like I was like, you know, my God, I, I can't go to the house. It was, I'd be out playing, and uh, uh, I remember we'd, uh, me and some friends went to go pay, play some baseball at a park. We were like nine, ten years old. And there was uh, kids three, four years older than us. And all I thought was, we're going to get in a fight, what are we going to do? 
like because these kids were being you know like you know rude to us hey you little punks you know pushing one of my friends around and all i was thinking is like am i going to run i got a bat in my hand am i going to hit somebody who am i going to hit and it was really really scary stuff my heart's pounding my adrenaline's going but it was like warriors come out to play like type thing it wasn't you know like choreographed martial arts stuff i wasn't you know even studying stuff and so i've always been incredibly like OCD with this introspection mm-hmm. and I would just sit there like staring at the ceiling going why am I thinking about this why am I thinking about this and so to me getting into the martial arts it wasn't like just a way for me to learn movements and the mm-hmm. mechanics and stuff like that I was truly seeking to uh, to understand like scenario specific fear management mm-hmm. and, and it was and uh well, that's the term you use now. Right, yeah. right. When yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't back then. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> can I learn scenarios specifically? Yeah, is there like a spontaneous protection enabling accelerated response system around here? You know, <laughs> um, no, of course not. And so, uh, but what was interesting is, you know, I wrestled, but I was afraid, always scared wrestling. Um, when I did uh, Taekwondo and, and went to competition and stuff, I, I was super, super scared when we'd spar, no matter how well I did, I was afraid. But listen, I tell the story we do, you know, I do now here, like, you know, 40 years later, I do uh, these seminars on performance psychology Mm. and fear management. Because what I discovered in the serendipity of of this was, while I was trying to piece this together and figure it out, kind of reverse engineer it for me, I found that it worked on you, and it worked on you, and it worked on... And, because and, the human psyche works pretty much the same way, right? Unless it's broken, right? And so exactly. And so now, and this is like you know, three decades, and we talk about our ten thousand hours and our right. ten thousand reps, and the mastery principle is all these decades later. You know, when 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 someone says, "Well, what is spear?" I go, "It is the only fully behaviorally based personal defense." countermeasure there is because it's based on physiology physics and psychology it's all science unless you're a unicorn or from outer space like this stuff will apply to you and and there's so if you're fighting a unicorn or an alien you, there, there's a little footnote in your yeah it's a disclaimer it just disclaimer. says like there's it may no, not work with it may not work no guarantees you know uh, clint eastwood said in one of his movies if you want a guarantee buy a toaster and so, you know, I tell people, like, will this work? I go, buy a toaster. They don't understand the reference, but I do. Um, the, uh, listen, at the, at the end of the day, you know, I've interviewed, uh, you, you know, you, you've been doing martial arts for years, but you also come from a, you know, uh, a, an amazing military mm-hmm. background exposure to that. And I've, over the last 20 years, and I'd like a, a parallel thought, my students for the last two decades have been, military and law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So I broke away from teaching martial artists. I had a, a call this week where, you know, these instructors were going, yeah, but yeah, but I go, none of you fight and none of your students fight. Mm-hmm. My students fight. And I'm not saying I'm a promoter and I'm not saying I'm their coach, but the people that have trusted me to share uh, uh, training Mm-hmm. And program management are training to actually fight, not they, to avoid a fight. Yeah, yeah. and they're 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 hunters. They yeah, they right. got to go towards the bad they're guy, dogs. right? So so I can hide behind a tree, going, "There's a bad guy," and I'm going to push a cop. Go, you got to you got to go fight that guy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I and I and I make that tongue in cheek, and I'm not. Uh, what what I'm saying is like, we need to demystify. And I created this uh, actually to create. It might be uh, appropriate to throw this in here. I don't know that I've ever shared this with you because it's in the last year, I created four categories for conversations. Category one 
is every martial art in the world. Category two is every combat sport. Category three is the new wave of reality-based self-defense mm-hmm. uh, uh, programs. <clears throat> and category four are violent encounters. Mm-hmm. In category one, every martial art, you don't really talk about scenarios. You don't talk about pre-contact cues. You don't talk about dissonance. You don't mm-hmm. talk about fear management. Sure. Um, and your focus is on embracing, adhering to, and executing uh, uh, mastery over a complex motor skill. Right. Right? I remember being disqualified in a Taekwondo tournament when I was a teenager for hitting somebody with a hook to the body. Right. It's not part of Taekwondo. And the other thing, I completely understand, and I want to hear the rest yep. of it, but number one, category one, is not a prerequisite for two, three, or four. No. In fact, just, it can be a limiting yeah. factor. And you know, like when, I, when I got the buds and Jerry Peterson said, hey, Mark, you got to unlearn that karate shit right. if you're going to learn how to fight. Right. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Let's and listen, like some, of the, some of this stuff does have value. Of course. Maybe the discipline, maybe the mobility, yeah, the stability, uh, understanding how to generate power. But we're talking about like the movements and the mechanics and the targets and also the outcome. <clears throat> um, so, so, you know, the category one stuff. Uh, so, so, yeah, there is stuff in category one that has value. But category one, here's the most important thing. On the four categories, if, if you ask the question... Your focus is the, uh, you know, is personal safety, mm-hmm. your security, your family security. There's category one, martial arts, category two, combat sports, category three, reality-based self-defense, category four, violent encounters. You can only look at one and, and study one. Which one's it going to be? And mm-hmm. I go, here's the question. You want to make sure that no matter what happens, you can pick up the danger, manage your fear, and get the hell out of danger by either going through the threat or avoiding it, which category are you going to study to learn? Violent encounters. The right? one. Only yeah. violent encounters. Right. And so this is the interesting thing. In category one, the discussion, there is no real discussion about, uh, about violent encounters. Category two, this is a confusing thing because you have all the people who do jiu-jitsu and MMA and boxing and Thai boxing, stuff like that, go, you know, yeah, why don't you come into the octagon and fight? Why don't you do this? Why don't you... So category two develops a lot of amazing attributes, right. pain management, stamina, endurance. I mean, being a, a, a serious MMA practitioner develops amazing skills. The mm-hmm. problem is it doesn't develop situational awareness. The mm-hmm. fear management is specific to possibly a weight class, the right. rules, the moment, mm-hmm. you're getting ready to fight. Category three, and I haven't figured out how to monetize my haters yet because I make fun of reality-based self-defense as an acronym. What other type of self-defense is there? other than right. reality-based. Why would you do that? And it's just this like movement to separate, you know, and go, hey, look at us. And I look at how they're practicing, and this is, this is interesting, is I look at how Category 3 reality-based self-defense practitioners, they look like Category 1, but they're wearing BDUs, running shoes, T-shirts. Mm-hmm. They have cooler acronyms. And, you know, instead of it being uh, uh, like an old, you know, you know ear clap, it's an eye gouge. Instead of it being, you know, uh, like a Shotokan type elbow or Kyukushikai elbow, it's, uh, you know, grabbing the head and dropping an elbow. Yeah. And it looks more violent, and they talk about violence, but here's the key thing. And because people are selector, selective listeners and, and get defensive when they hear this shit, mm-hmm. when you're studying 
a category one, two, three, what you're doing is you are committing to a series of, of Pavlovian drills to develop a complex motor skill. Mm -hmm. And so one of our maxims is careful what you practice, you might get really good at the wrong thing. How important is situational awareness in, a, in the real world? It's huge. It's, it it's might be everything because if, of the, if you have no yeah. awareness, how do you get prepared? Right. Right? right. So, so we need to look at situational awareness differently. And we can't just be like a lip service talking heads on a, uh, you know, if you look at the Orlando massacre mm -hmm. um, and, and you get the talking heads in the news saying situational awareness, situational awareness, situational awareness. Well, that guy was in that club for three hours. Everyone who was still alive in the club had situational awareness, didn't do anything. All the cops standing outside waiting for somebody to tell them go in there and kill the guy had situational awareness for three hours while he was still shooting people, people bleeding out. And so I tell people like, there is no such thing as the situational awareness, like the panacea situational awareness. Because if you have situational awareness but you can't manage the fear, then it doesn't matter. In other words, it's a tactical trinity. That's when I say, you know, our system, we look at the vetting, the vetting is this. Is it based on sound physiology and all the science of kinesiology and biomechanics? Are we generating and exploiting what we know about physics in terms of speed and power? And then is this psychologically achievable, right? Does my brain reject this? Can I make this happen? And so that's what we say, hey, physiology, physics, and, and psychology. And that's, that's the uh, formula um, for success. When I've interviewed people who've been in close quarter gunfights, uh, ambushes, military guys. I go, you know, I go, hey, you're in an ambush, you're walking down the street, and all of a sudden shots rang out, what'd you do? They always answer immediate action drill. Mm. I go, okay, well, you know, what's that? I know what that is, but what is that? Oh, you know, we get offline, we return fire. I go, okay, before you did that, what'd you do? They go, I don't know what you mean. So that's all we did. So like, these rounds went flying by your head and you just threw yourself, you know, offline and, you know, rolled off the ground and came up and running towards a threat. And when you peel the onion with them, what they realize is they did the startle flinch. Right. That the first thing they did was, whoa, shit. And they did, you know, that primal flinch mm -hmm. that, that I've shown you and that mm -hmm. we've talked about. The primal flinch, it looks differently because they're holding an M4 and they got kit on. Yeah, and they're right. also highly trained and they're, but, but, in, in but reality-based scenarios. But here is the thing. So Even they're... though they're highly trained, the physiology, the flinch neuroscience still... still and that's what we understand is the limbic system, the amygdala gets bypassed by a stimulus being introduced too quickly, regardless of whether you're male or female and regardless of training. And that's mm -hmm. out of a neuroanatomy book. It's got nothing to do with combatives. Right. And so what we're trying to do is bring that level of science and education and just say, listen, it's taking me sometimes hours to talk to people to explain that this motion could save your life and to deny its place is to reject physiology. How could you do that? What unites all of us in the room here is physiology. So you could be exper experienced, you know, commander with all this experience. I got no, I got no training. I'm just sitting in the room. I don't know your background. And all of a sudden, a crazy active shooter comes in here. We're both going, whoa! Right. But I might fall over and go fetal where you flinched <laughs> and you picked up the chair and whipped it at the guy and charged the guy. And, and that's where the training comes in. Right. So we don't teach people to flinch. We teach them to convert the flinch. But there's, a, there's a, a missing element there, and this is the neural circuitry of fear. What, mm -hmm. what is missing in a lot of people, and I ask people... You know, well, it's, it's, it's the fight or flight. So you can, you can flinch and freeze, right. but you can train yourself 
to rec- you know, to flinch, recognize what's happening, and to take action. And that's what I think you're saying. The if, link, if, if you understand... The link, the flinch to the next yeah, psychological movement. The, the, so there's, there's centripetal force that's created when, right. we, when we flinch. Right. And so what we want to do is weaponize the flinch right. so that if it's a close quarter fight and you went to bite me or headbutt me or my hand came up, Instead of me, it's pushing, an effective flinch, right? Instead of me, well, the flinch is always tactical, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that you're being tactical, right? In other words, I can flinch like this as you go to headbutt me, and I accidentally elbow you in the face. Mm-hmm. I can't take credit for it. I don't go, yeah, I did an elbow tomorrow. You know, I did this and and, and hit you and, and stunned you. What we need to teach people is that the speed and reliability of the startle flinch is why it's still here, and there's no T Rex being interviewed here. And so, in, 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 let me let me expand on that a little bit. Uh, about six they months ago, they made horrible interviewees anyway, they, and they can't do the spear because their arms are this <laughs> short. You know, like they can't. They can only do the finger splayed part. You guys, you guys digging this? Um, so, but in all seriousness, somebody asked me like six, seven months. I was on a show, and they go, they went, you know, how many times you've been asked like what the best martial art is? And I go, I get asked that. I've been asking that since the internet was invented, and my answer is always artist for a museum. And uh, I go, the street is different. This is before I came up with the categories. And, and uh, I want to just finish a thought on the categories and then come back to this, this caveman paleolithic little story. Is in category four, in category one, two, three, you're trying to figure out how to beat your opponent with your toolbox. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's boxing versus kickboxing. It's jiu-jitsu versus wrestling. It's, you know, and so what happens is you've got an unconscious bias predisposed by the conditioning patterns of your training mm-hmm. to make those moves happen. You don't even know about it, right? And so I've done this where I, I'm on the road teaching for three months, uh, law enforcement, gunfighting, military classes, and then I'm doing like an, uh, an empty hand class uh, for our personal defense readiness stuff, and we'll do a move and I'll knock somebody away and my hand will go here, right? And I've had people go, I knock them away, and my hand goes down, and then I come back up, and they go, and then I see people like copying me. And I'm there here like this, and I go, Why are you putting your hand there? Well, you were doing that. I was? <laughs> oh, shit. I was reaching for a transition to my pistol. Right. But I've been doing that for so long, right? That, the, you know, that brain pattern, the synapse just got burned like that. Mm-hmm. And I still catch myself doing it because I do that way more. Mm-hmm. Where when we're working with the law enforcement military, some guys attacked you inside the reactionary gap, start a flinch, boom, create space. And now you're transitioning your kit while you hold them off in the context of a scenario. And so that's an example, even with, with, with me, who looks at this stuff like really big picture from the scenario, not from the, you know, really it's the forest, not the tree. And mm-hmm. I'm really going, well, what about this? What about that? I still have Pavlovian responses mm-hmm. to moves that are inappropriate. Yeah. Right? And so, go ahead. This is a thought. I don't think I don't know if it fits here, but you know the needs of the the SEAL special operator are different than the the cop, and so do you present the spear in a different you know spear system in a different way to a, no, a so, special so operator versus a cop. You know, the not, special operator needs to be unless they're ambushed, they need to be offensive and right. not wait. Y- yes, yeah, so, so in, in right? terms of moving, I, and I've worked with a lot of special operations groups, and so the first day and a half of both communities is the same, mm-hmm. right? And then the scenario and, and then And then now the scenario changes. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so, so if you go in, if you enter a house, you know, as a special operator, you're not going to be like, 
Okay. You're not your, dancing. Put your well, weapon neither, and down. Neither, but neither and then he throws a, you know, throws a punch at me, and I, I do the spear, and then I take him down. No, it's like, boom, everyone yeah. goes down. 100%. 100%. And so everything we do is reverse engineered. What right. do you need to do? You go, you go into the room. I, and, I, and I tell people, and, I, and I've been at, at places, not mentioning, not going to mention any names, but I've been at places, high-level places, where they have given their, their trainees way too many options, which... If, yeah, if, it you, them down, if, right? if you look, yeah, the decision-making loops so of, you know, if I've got white t-shirts and blue jeans and a pair of sneakers, I can get dressed really quickly. If I've got too much shit, I can't make choices. Right. So when someone says, yeah, you know, we've, we've got the Frankenstein system where we've combined all these different martial arts to make the best martial art, that's always failed. And at the end of the day, if you talk to somebody who's really been there and done shit, and I've done that type of research with guys, it's like they have, it's, it's not even a move, it's a movement. Mm-hmm. It's how they move their mind and how they move their body. And it comes back to our, uh, you know, the acronym we created 20 years ago for this performance enhancement psychology called closest weapon, closest target. Right. But you're the weapon. Right. So is it a headbutt? Is it a muzzle strike? Is it a half spear? Is it a palm strike? Is it a... And the, the problem is when someone says, hey, we're going to adopt this system to do that, and now you're telling people how to solve their problem. And, and, and that's where uh, um, hesitation comes in. But... The, the, the big thing that I want your listeners to get and is that when you're doing category four, the only way we can study category four is by studying the bad guy. And we do something different. And I ask this, like when we start any one of our courses, at some point I'll ask the group, I'll go, who controls the fight? And most people in law enforcement or military who haven't been exposed to this reverse engineer logic will say, we control the fight. The attacker always controls the fight. Well, yeah. and, and, and it's an interesting he thing. controls the start of the fight. Anyway. Yeah, the start time, of the fight. And, then, and so we'll get that sometimes, <laughs> Mark. But we also we get, yeah, he controls you know, the start of the fight, but, but we control how this ends. Mm-hmm. And I go, you need to solve the riddle. But who controls the location? The bad guy. Who controls the level of violence when you open a door, when you pull somebody out of a car, mm-hmm. when you, you know, you t- someone taps you, you turn around. Yeah. The level of violence is controlled by the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And then my next question is, who controls the length, the duration of the fight? Mm-hmm. And that's where people go, oh, we do. I go, no. How tough is the guy? What type of drugs is he on? Is he wearing yeah. body? You know, you, you know guys that have shot people and then hit them with their gun because the bullet didn't work. Right. They're that crazy or that dangerous and that. And so you need to, and I always make the joke, you remember, you know, Monty Python's Holy Grail, the... Uh, uh, the Black Knight, mm-hmm. right? The, you know, what are you going to do, bleed on me? And he cut off his arms and legs, and he still wants to fight. So I would always tell people, that's the guy you got to prepare for. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't kick the guy in the balls. It's merely and, a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah, it's just a flesh wound. Um, so when I created the categories, I said, hey, category four is violent encounters. And how you prepare for violent encounters is not fantasizing about how you're going to get your favorite move in. So one, you know, we, we like to throw a little like Zen riddles into class. I go, did you ever think that your best move might trigger my best counter? And therefore, your favorite move might end up being your the shot move. that drops you, right? right? So how do you, how do you build, how do you reverse engineer? And this is, this is, I said, listen, your opponent will tell you how to beat him. But until the fight starts, you know, you combine a little situational awareness, a little abstraction. I know A, I know C, B is happening here. But I'm looking for weapons and targets. I'm threat discriminating based on, on what I know. And then I've got to, to, you know, take 
my arsenal and apply it to the confrontation. And force must parallel danger, of course. We can't be cavalier. You know, you see some guys going, well, I would just do this to the guy. Nobody comes into my personal space, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just not the way the world is anymore. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Ample Meal. Ample is a new entrant into the meal replacement market. So essentially, it's a healthy meal in a bottle. What I love about Ample is this is so much more than just a protein shake. It is a complete meal, including fiber, healthy fats, protein, and carbohydrates, all in a very convenient plastic bottle that you just shake it up, add water, shake it up, and then you drink it. And not only do you get hydrated, but you actually get a really well-crafted 400 or 600-calorie meal for busy professionals and athletes and warriors on the go. This thing is fantastic. I believe it's going to replace the MRE for the military because it's healthy. It's actually made out of very, very healthy, non-GMO, nothing artificial. You know, the fats are from like macadamia nuts and, you know, all sorts of good stuff in this thing. So terrific, terrific uh, new option for those of us who train hard and are busy professionals and sometimes just literally have to grab something and go. So at least we're going to get a complete meal now with Ample Meal. And listeners can use the code UNBEATABLE if you go to AmpleMeal.com. And for any order over 50 bucks, you're going to get two bonus meals with your order. So go to AmpleMeal.com. Use the code UNBEATABLE for the special two bonus meals. And trust me, I use this every day now. It's, it's become my go-to, and I love it. So Ample Meal is awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Connor. Uh, for creating this cool new food source. Hoo-ya, out here. Which brings us to my the back of my T-shirt, which is, can you read that? Caveman Combatives. Caveman Combatives, what's it say underneath that? Established 2015 by Tony Blower. No, 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 what's oh. it say below that? <laughs> 80,000 BC. 80,000 BC. So, <laughs> so get this. So people go... Oh yeah, Blower. You were the original caveman. So yeah. get, I'm not that old. So people go, they go, uh, yeah, Blas, Blower, Blower made up that art, you know. But, <clears throat> and I go, first of all, somebody made up every fucking art, right? Can I swear on the show? Too late. So um, someone came up with Aikido. Someone came up with with right. Wing Chun. The fact that I'm alive while you're alive doesn't mean you get to discredit me, right? right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, you made this up. Yeah, like somebody invented the iPhone. Somebody invented, mm-hmm. you know, Kokoro. Who's that guy? I don't know what the guy is. Uh, some, some, some guy. I don't know. But my point is, if we move past that, when people go, so this is like only like 30 years old, I go, no, motherfucker. This is hundreds of thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. Do you know when the first spearhead was discovered? The actual, like, the oldest spearhead discovered? How old, how old is it? How old? Between four and 500,000 years old. Really? So... 400,000 years ago, some version of man had figured out how to sharpen a rock and stick it into an animal. Hmm. Right? Or it could have been an alien. Could have been an alien or a unicorn. Or a unicorn. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Can I get another host, please? <laughs> um, so. <laughs> been fired. That's how. That's enough. That's was that first. vodka or was that water? <laughs> um, so, but get, so get this. They found spearheads, and they usually find like holes in carcasses and stuff like that. So I, so you know, my shirt says eighty thousand years old. And people ask me why eighty thousand. If it's if you, in, when we're talking about the spear as a metaphor, they go like, why? If you know you've got like spearheads at four hundred thousand years, because that's why? What, that's as far back as you can trace your ancestry. No, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> um, 
So my great, 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 great father, no. <laughs> no, it's around 80,000 years ago is when modern man began exploring the rest of the planet. Right. And so my theory, in all seriousness, is that I believe that if the three of us here were a tribe and we had figured out our spears were used to hunt animals to feed our family. We weren't fighting with each other mm-hmm. because we were a tribe. We were worried about the avalanche, the volcano, you know, the saber-toothed tiger and, and the giant the, wolf. And the other tribe. Right? But there weren't any tribes back then. Like what I'm saying is like the, the, the archaeologists have, have somehow said around 80,000 years ago, this is when there's evidence that these people started exploring. Mm-hmm. So now, and this is just my theory, and it just, it's intuitively uh, mm-hmm. logical, that's when interpersonal fighting started mm-hmm. happening where you look different than me, and that's not the same sword yeah, or spear that I had. That's, that's my elephant you just took down. Yeah, you know, and the way we were going to hunt here, and oh, what whatever. are you guys doing here? And so I just go like, you know, just, just as a speaking point, I go, look, the spear system is hardwired on the cross-extensor reflex, which is part of the startle flinch mechanism, which is part of this movement that if I... If I have a spear in my hand and you're a giant animal and you come at me, I'm going, shit, I'm going to recoil and then plunge. That's the extensor chain mm-hmm. holding onto the spear. So the first spear actually used all of the same elements of the requirements of situational awareness, managing fear, proper physics, uh, and then the psychology of it, mm-hmm. right? That if I, if I had like, like some giant bear running at me, do you think the first spear was built properly? Right, so you know, we went out hunting, and with our spears, and then five of us leave, and four of us come back, and we're saying in caveman speak, yeah, yeah Bob's spear. Bob spear didn't work. We needed to be like sharper or thicker or bigger, right? <laughs> Pain is the mother of invention, right? But what do you think happened when, like, I'm here like this? I go, Mark, you go first. You kill that giant wolf. You know, you're you're here like this, going, you know, <laughs> fuck, right? And then the wolf comes pouncing, and you're you didn't go. And do like some sort of like, yeah, right. There's no, fancy, there's no, there was no martial art. There wasn't like a caveman kung fu studio beside our, our cave. <laughs> and so, the the first movement when we were actually fighting with spears against animals and against people, there were micro flinches, and there was that yeah. that was that recoil. And it's the same thing as I'm like trouble flinch, and and the serendipity of the whole spear system is I didn't know any of this when I developed it. And my first client was Naval Special Warfare mm-hmm. down in Coronado, 1993. It was a bunch of cavemen. Right. For sure. Knuckle-draggers. Uh, they, they were good dudes, man. They could have... Listen, they had a, they had a lot of stuff there, and uh, they were open-minded to it. And they, uh, you know, I went in there to show them my Higer suit. We just had a prototype. And uh, they were my first client for, for that. And then they asked me about some training stuff, and <laughs> didn't have to go, this, this is cool. <laughs> and I used to tell people... So they hired Dieter instead. No, they had already hired him, but thank you. <laughs> New host, please. Uh, and so... What was, in, what was interesting is I had created the stance where instead of being in a conventional boxing stance for like a, a more street scenario, we, we went from, I'm holding this here, I'm not even using this, um, we went from a, a reasonable, moral, ethical, you know, legal, nonviolent mm-hmm. posture, mm-hmm. which ironically and incidentally mm-hmm. is fingers played and outside 90, take mm-hmm. it easy, calm down, mm-hmm. body language being 60% of communication, um, take it easy, man. And then if this escalated, how close was I to the the shape of a spearhead mm-hmm. where I could move right in and impale <clears throat> the attack and that was the metaphor so there was no acronym back in the early 90s mm-hmm. it, I, what I would say is when we were training I'd say okay guys spear stance because what I wanted people to be in was this stance 
where an amazing thing happens, and I can't explain why it's a black box-ish type thing, that if I say, punch me in the face, and I'm standing here like this, you'll punch me in the face. If I go, hey, punch me in the face, you'll punch me in the face. But if I do this, and I say, punch me in the face, you'll punch around my hands. Yeah. And so, and so, your hands are in the way. Because my hands are in the way. Now, move what's, your hands first, and I'll do it. Again. Well, but 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 <laughs> what's interesting about this is, so let's say you go on a trail run, and as you're coming up, you you pick up a little spider web hanging across. A leaf. You'll duck your head out of the way, mm-hmm. like without even thinking. It's like, mm-hmm. and you just do this sudden slip, and you keep moving. Mm-hmm. You come around another trail, and there's like a little little branch with a leaf there. You'll do like a, some amazing zig and zag to get away from it. Your brain doesn't go, I could run right through that. Why do I need to deviate? What? And so what we found is when I went, whoa, and then my hands came up, that this person like, and then they would come over with big John Wayne punches. We seduced this very telegraphic attack. And so when you have somebody in the street who's a headhunter to start with, who's got an opportunistic ego-based attack, if you create an even greater obstacle, what you did is, is you, you force them to disrupt do, the attack, right? Yeah, but you, but you force them to do something more telegraphic. Right, right. And it also set up this big pocket mm-hmm. for the spear to come through, right. whether you hit with the palm strike or the forearm or the elbow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing serendipity, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what we had is we had the, uh, uh, the psychology of behaviorally manipulating what you're going to do in a, in a safe space for me. And then further serendipity part two was as you came around and opened up, you opened up the brachial, right. tie-in, plexus, radial nerve, center mass. All target field. And so, so, you know, you got a madman with a gun and a hatchet doing stuff. They taught you to shoot in, this, in, in quick gunfighting. Where are you aiming? Center mass. Right. Because right? it's a bigger target that's not moving a lot. It'd be cool if we could just shoot knives out of people's hands and guns out of people's hands. And so that's the whole thing. What we looked at when we reverse engineered the system, I said, listen, if I got a small weapon to a small target, I got a big margin for error. But if I'm using a big primal gross motor weapon system to a big target, my margin for error is really small. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to care if it's a left hook or a right hook or a headbutt or a kick. I'm always going center mass as if I have got a spear driving, you know, driving in. So um, it's, it's, it's pretty neat. I mean, it's, a, you know, like in the last 30 minutes, I've explained 30 years of, mm-hmm. of, of uh, exploration and observations. And, and uh, you know, I think I... I the other day, I, ex- I explained like the entire system to a cop in about 15 minutes, and I was like, "Wow, you know, like, <laughs> uh, like, I mean, it's just information overload, mm-hmm. a fire hose of information." But, um, but again, it, it can all it all filters down from this psychology um, to physics to physiology. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs as a metaphor, we need to survive. And so, you know, you asked about teaching cops different and, and law enforcement different. At the end of the day. I believe, you know, presence is the first thing the bad guy sees and picks up on, you know, and, and I'm dating myself here for your audience, but does the bad guy see Dirty Harry in, you know, in Clint Eastwood walking across the street, or does the bad guy see Barney Fife, you know? <laughs> and, and so uh, I really believe that whether somebody's uh, special forces, special operations, a SWAT team, a cop, a uh, security guard, that the bad guy, when he looks at you and he's deciding... Am I going to let this person arrest me? Am I going to, am I going to run? Am I going to fight? What they're looking for in the body language and the aura is some sort of am inspiration. Am I going to get hurt? Yeah. 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 yeah most bad, unless you're ISIS, most bad, most bad guys don't want to get hurt. Right. So they'll avoid that. Right. And depending on the circumstance and, and, and the scenario, um, ISIS guys run away to not get captured and hurt too. That's true. Right? Yeah. 
And it's, it's, it's interesting when you come back, when you come back to that. It's, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's the neuroscience and the physiology that unites everybody, even the evil ones. Mm-hmm. You know? right. So if, unless I've signed off and I went, today's the day I'm fucking blowing myself up, you know, what I'm trying to do is escape because I don't want to blow myself up till next Friday. Right. right. right? So it's, it's, um, it's interesting stuff. And I, and I, you know, I'm glad we're, we have a, a chance to, uh, to, okay, to so, talk. Okay, so someone's got a machete. Yep. And they're coming at you. And you lean into them <clears throat> with a spear and they chop your freaking arm off. Right. Now what? You get hit with the other arm. Half the half spear. Okay. Um, uh, they'd have to be a big and sharp machete to, <clears throat> to do it in one blow. Um, you know, and uh, true story, uh, one, of, one of the units that I was training, he, he came in a room, got drawn down the room there, uh, you know, center-fed room, sees the door there, comes in, bad guy over here, shoots him, shoots at him, hits him in the arm, mm-hmm. uh, 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 you know, busts his forearm, mm-hmm. gets hit close range, busts, busts his forearm, gun drops, orients on the guy, sees the guy, his gun jams, and he runs towards him, you know, broken arm and comes up, wham, you know, and hits him. Because what we teach, and you know, we, you know, we did a little bit of training. You've got a full spear. Like if I, my hands are, if I'm empty handed, um, I'll micro flinch up like this. And then I'm coming forward both hands to get my hands on you. What's counterintuitive for people uh, is to move towards the danger. Right. When you flinch, you want to move away. So part of the training is this classical conditioning of how do you convert the flinch and move towards right. the danger. Um, I thought that was really valuable. I mean, I was... Yeah. Even if you're pressed up against the wall, right, yeah. or you're, you're like, you know, the scenarios we did together, if you're lifted off the wall, you can still fight. Yeah. You've got to convert that energy. The, and so people need to realize that the extensor chain, finger split outside 90, is stronger than the flexor chain. Right. So if you grab me and you're trying to pull me into a van or try to pull me into a room and I jam out, it, this is just uh, a pound to pound the strongest thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And, everybody, and everybody can do that. And so, you know, we do practice if you're, if you're knocking somebody, if you sling your weapon this way, half spear will come off. If you pull your weapon this way, this here. If you're not in special operations, I don't, I don't know what the demographic is watching this. Um, you know, you might have your kid in your hand, something happens. Right. And don't forget the half spear where we're using it's a practical tactical application of the forearm could also be a palm strike. Right. right? So that's the same. And the, the fuel that fires this, like whatever, you know, whatever that spark is, is fear. Oh shit, right? And so, you know, if I said, hey, look at this, Mark, and, you know, I open my hand and it's something that you just instinctively don't like, your, your body's going to, going to react to it. I make the joke like the uh, Jack in the Box, mm-hmm. right? So you can go, and the clown pops. You know he's going to come still, out. He's coming out and you go, ah shit, there's still a micro flinch there. <laughs> right. And no matter how good you get, you can't finger jab the clown. But you're always going to be late. The head will always pop up. And so, you know, that's uh, another big model with the system. And this comes back to category four, action versus reaction. Category one, two, three, the focus is on this, this, I'm going to do this when he does this. Mm -hmm. When he throws that punch, I'm slipping here, hitting him with a body shot. Okay, when he throws this kick, I'm doing this block, I'm kicking him back. Mm -hmm. That works in the synchronized dance that is uh, those organized, uh, you know, fighting sports and fighting arts. But the bad guy is truly the jack-in-the-box. Mm-hmm. And in, in physics, action always beats reaction. Mm-hmm. So if your training modality is, well, when you get me in a headlock, I'm going to do this, you're violating physics. Right, because you let the guy put you in a headlock. Or you got you caught, right. but your training only starts 
uh, like, like how ridiculous would this be? Mark, I'm going to teach you how to get out of a, uh, a hangman's noose. Right. I'm going to teach you the counter. Yeah, first get in the noose. Right. I mean, in order to practice it, you've it's got not, to get in the noose. It's not good. I agree. Yeah. And so we, we, we jokingly refer to that as the Star Trek model of self-defense, right. where the bad, you allow the bad guy to beam down into the headlock, into the choke. And don't confuse this. You know, you've been doing martial arts for many years. To understand how to escape from a headlock, you need to put it on. You need to understand, you know, you know what the opportunities are to, to counter this. But if I said to you, and I just did a, a, a video online that, and it's amazing, the, the YouTube hate and stuff like that. I don't, even, I don't even look at that, but, you know, people post, did you see what so-and-so said or so-and-so said? And I'm like, don't even send that shit to me. Um, because I was, what I was trying to, I'm trying to make the world safe. I'm trying to make good people safer. So I tell people, don't practice getting in and out of a headlock. Practice picking up the headlock and, and stopping the headlock. Intercept the headlock. If, because what martial artists do as a rule is they practice category one, put me in a headlock, I do the escape. Right. Category two, hey, if a guy gets on the ground, he gets in a headlock, here's the escape. Category three, you know, here's how to get out of a headlock. And I'm going category four is what if I fuck the guy up way before the headlock gets mm-hmm. on? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you've got unlimited funds and training time, you can do both. But it's, it's, it's like I asked you before, if, if you could only pick one category to practice so that you got to do what you love, see your family every night, and, and live in peace, right? And there's nothing wrong with being a deadly pacifist. You can be, you know, you can be, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not into violence. But you need, to, you need to protect yourself. I had this amazing talk on Facebook, what a waste of time, but you got to be there, where... Uh, um, this guy started saying, we need to ban rape. And I said, yeah, we should ban murder too, and we should ban all bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's just ban bad stuff. Yeah, good idea. Right? Yeah. You know, and uh, um, let's pe- we petition with I, me? I think, yeah, I'll, I'll start the petition. Start it, I'll Pretty sign sure it. I'll be your first signature. And I'm like, because like I said, listen, you're not going to stop evil, opportunistic, mm-hmm. mixed signals, whatever. Because yeah, what we should teach is everybody how to protect themselves. Because I can't control what evil's thinking or planning or plotting. And this guy's going, that's, no, you need to, we need to teach men they can't rape. And I'm going, that's, like, that's, like, that's not practical, dude, right? (laughs) And people just don't get it. So that made me think about this because of the YouTube stuff, is what I was showing people really simply is that if I've got my hands up and you're walking towards me, and I go, you know, Hey, back off now. Whoa, and I'm picking up the danger. So this is situational awareness, right? And this is verbal defuse and de-escalation. Mm-hmm. And then when the guy moves, if I go, oh shit, and I flinch and I push away the danger, I can trust the science of, of physiology to stop you. The startle flinch is akin to, a, uh, it's an organic airbag, like an airbag in a car. Mm-hmm. The airbag deploys during an accident. An accident means you didn't do this on purpose. I didn't get mugged on purpose. I didn't get raped on purpose. So violent violent encounters, category four, are accidents. What can we use in physiology, stuff that's organic, that's gonna make good humans safer? Mm -hmm. And here I am just trying to share this stuff, saying if you don't, if you're not trying to get into the UFC, if you're not trying to be competitive tie boxer and boxer, you just need simple self-defense. And what I figured I've done, figured out I've done, I try to explain this to people, is that, like, do you know how long it takes to take a basic CPR course, first aid CPR? Three hours, I think. Three hours. Yeah. I think a good one, a full one now is four to six hours. 
So I, I tell people, go, I go, a first aid CPR course, you're going to spend part of a day. And at the end of the day, you might be able to save somebody's life. Maybe your own. Put a tourniquet on, you know, help somebody who's choking, do the Heimlich, do CPR on somebody. Are you a doctor after one day? Could you go into a hospital and put on some scrubs and go, like, <laughs> let me help out with this brain surgery here. I did a one-day CPR course. This is how insane people are on the internet. Because I teach self-defense like firefighters and EMT teach first aid. Right. I teach a day. This is what you need to know. Every victim of violence who ever lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling. So we teach people, trust that bad feeling. There's no downside to choosing safety. Mm-hmm. You got a bad feeling, right? You know, I mean, you go to a restaurant, you eat something, it tastes wrong. If you get a bad feeling, yeah. being, a, <laughs> being a strategist, you go, I'm not going to continue eating this, right? I'm not moving towards the danger, right? <laughs> right? It's so simple. So that's what we teach with self-defense. And then we teach primal gross motor movements that everyone can do. Mm-hmm. Your hands are up. You've got a legal, moral, ethical position, nonviolent posture, you're trying to talk it down. And, and I make it sound easy right now, but it is that easy. Mm-hmm. The confusion is, is that somebody now thinks, okay, uh, I just did this self-defense course. It's not a martial art. It doesn't replace a martial art. Mm-hmm. And like the story you told with, with Jerry Peterson, mm-hmm. going, you know, hey, man, like CQB and martial arts, there might be a couple of mm-hmm. crossover mm-hmm. things, but that's a different world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tim Larkin. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, so Tim uh, released this video, which is a great video, uh, and, I, and, it, and it really speaks to this four-category thing. It's two professional MMA guys. I mean, there's, there's actually footage of them in, in octagons beating the shit out of people. I mean, these guys are ripped like you and me. Of course. Ripped like Bruce Lee. I mean, just, just fucking ground and pound, suplexing guys. And then there's surveillance video of them at a uh, convenience store gas station where they get in a fight, which turns into four or five guys that are just local street guys. But these guys are all, you know, machismo. Mm-hmm. And, and, and hey, we're MMA fighters, right? And so they confuse category two with category four. Yep. And what happens is, it's horrifically graphic. They're in the pocket, freaking, you know, wailing on guys and guys are punching back. and. And it's amazing how resilient, as you know, the human body is mm-hmm. just when you're in a fight. And these guys are wailing on these guys, and out of the shadows comes a guy with like, it looks like a two by four, two by two stick that he had in the cart or trunk or saw it, opportunistic. He comes in, the first guy, he comes running at the guy ah, like this, and the other guy sees him, turns and he does a flinch. He wasn't trained by me, right? This is physiology going, ah, oh, fuck, right? He gets hit, it comes back, boom, nails him across the chest, he falls down, he's on the ground trying to scurry out of the way. The guy turns and runs. The other MMA guy has his back to him and he's just drilling this other guy and they're kind of going toe to toe and this guy comes across, does that Happy Gilmore skip, Mm -hmm. you know, you're gonna die clown, skips into it, whap, hits the guy across the head, knocks him out cold, the guy falls down. One of those knockouts where you go and you see the head hit and you go, that's bad. Mm-hmm. And then two guys come over and they kick the shit out of him. These guys are drilling him. The guy's still in a coma with brain damage. Oh, but what's the point here? The point isn't that, oh, look, it's I feel horrible, but it's don't confuse the categories. Right. Just, you know, just because you're an Ipsic shooter doesn't mean you're a gunfighter, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You can relate to that more, mm-hmm. more than most people, right? And mm-hmm. so that's really what, what we're talking about. I mean, the, when I was 20, I got asked what I wanted to do. And, and I was... 20 years old, I was teaching this wealthy guy's kids in Montreal, and he said, 
uh, like I've done karate, I've done judo, I've been around. He says, you teach and look at this stuff completely differently. You know, I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine. He's a venture capitalist. I didn't know what the hell that was. I go in there and he goes, uh, Ricky says, you got something good going. What is it? I said, Mark. I said, I think I've got this generic approach to self-defense. He goes, what do you mean generic approach? I, th- I mean, not generic as in generic bad, like, you know, Sam's Club, Costco, mm-hmm. like a, just a generic brand. Generic as it applies to you, me, everybody, your, your daughter. Your, it's, uh, it's, it's an approach. I didn't have the cool language that I, you mm-hmm. know, now years later. But basically saying uh, that if we looked at self-defense from what's the bad guy going to do and how that's going to affect us emotionally, psychologically, and physically, and then built a system for that, we're reverse engineering it, and I believe I'm onto something here. Nobody's ever explained this like this. And uh, he goes, so, I go, I want to make the world safer. And he looks, looks at me like this. He goes, you want to make the world safer? I go, yeah. He goes, you don't think that's a little grandiose? <laughs> and I'm like, why, why would that be grandiose? And he went, hey, kid, like, this sounds great. Good luck. Get on takes my hand. <laughs> and that was 36 years ago. Um, and, but that's but that's what we do. And now, you know, all these years later, we got close to 200 affiliates around the world mm-hmm. trying to spread the message, share the stuff. And we got, you know, the MTT mobile training team. Well, it's a growth industry. It's, you know, because the world is not that safe right now. Oh, so my God. I think there's more and more people who are finally opening up to the idea that they need, they need some skills. You know, so I imagine you're seeing... A lot of demand from non-military land law enforcement. Do you have a program for? Remember, be yeah. your own bodyguard. Yeah, the be your own bodyguard is doing really well. Um, you know, that's a one-day one-day yeah. course, and so you know we're growing that team. Uh, we're doing you know a lot more kind of custom corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. Then the thing people need to realize is like this isn't like a martial art commitment. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm, it's one day, two day. You learn some it's, skills. It's one day and save your life. And and somebody you know, let's say I taught somebody here locally, uh, and. You know, the guy was, you know, he got all the content here, but he was just having a lot of trouble moving. I might say, dude, your range of motion is horrible, so it's preventing you from penetrating with this knee or this elbow. Go see my friend Mark and start doing some of the, mm-hmm. some of the yoga mm-hmm. and get exposure to some of the movement there mm-hmm. and some of the, some of the combatives there. Because if you're the hardware, this is the software. I got to get it in your brain. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, like this information is almost like a, and it's not a, it's not like a, like a vaccine in the sense of now I'm immune to this disease as a metaphor, but it's, we've got to inject you with, with this, this information mm-hmm. so that you are more resistant to the, and the danger is fear. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing we do, Mark, the most important thing we do, I tell people all the time, I go, I'm going to teach you about self-defense, but the transcendent value of this is the fact that if I can get you at the end of the day to go, listen, I'm going to do what I can to protect myself or my family, and I know that you're a salesman, I go, is what's more scary, protecting yourself or your family or making a cold call tomorrow? Mm-hmm. In other words, the transcendent value is, you know, I can now look at any confrontation and reverse engineer the scenario so I understand the sequence in terms of, like, what is my goal here? Where do mm-hmm. I need to go? And, and you know, so we've created that, that chart, the cycle of behavior mm-hmm. and the neural circuitry of fear to show people, like, you know, if you're hanging out in the fear loop, you may get through that situation through the duress path, but the duress path uh, takes its toll on you emotionally mm-hmm. and physically. Uh, uh, and, and, and maybe a, a culprit or a, um, a component of PTSD, mm-hmm. right? right? Yeah. So it's pretty heavy stuff. It's exciting. Let's be fired up. 
as you can tell. <laughs> I can tell you're pretty fired up. I'm like, hold on, did I take a breath yet? Yeah, take, I, I was going to say, if I'm ready to pass out from all those yeah. words. This podcast episode is brought to you by Organifi. Now, we all know that green juice is good for us, but juicing is a pain. It costs a fortune and it's super time-consuming. At least that's my story. Uh, I don't juice. So that's why I opt for Organifi green juice as an alternative because it's super easy, super tasty. It's an organic superfood green juice powder. Just add it to your water and stir it up. It dissolves almost immediately. Drink it and it will help sustain your energy throughout the day. It'll reduce stress over time. And best part is it really tastes good. So check it out. To get your micronutrients from a superfood green juice, use Organifi. I think stuff is great. Go to Organifi.com, and these guys are super generous. I know the founder, and they have offered a 20% discount to you on your order. So go to Organifi.com, use the code UNBEATABLE at checkout, and get 20% off your order. And uh, that link is also listed below in the show notes to this episode. Organifi.com. Hoo-yah. So you rattled it off really quickly about an hour and a half ago. So what, is, what does SPEAR actually stand for? Spontaneous protection, enabling accelerated response. So the spontaneous protection part is the, I throw something at you, your hands come up. That's the reaction. Yeah, and the, the accelerated flinch. response is I'm going to use the kinetic That's energy. That's the transition from yeah. the flinch to the attack. Yeah. Okay. And so if I make you flinch and your hands come up, and there's all of this stored energy, so right now your potential energy, mm-hmm. I make you flinch, you become kinetic energy. Imagine if I grabbed you and I'm on your throat, right? So I'm choked you and you'd be here like this. So my hands would probably get on you before you stop me if it was a real surprise. Mm-hmm. But what would happen is this, like we get here. Instead of us going oh, oh, and trying to do that, the training says what's closest weapon, closest target. I've got all of this. And you know this from, from lifting weights, from uh, breathing and yoga. When you're going to exert, when you're going to do something powerful, you inhale mm-hmm. and you load your body with the power of oxygen. Mm-hmm. When you flinch, guess what happens? You don't go, oh my God, I'm scared. <laughs> right? You do this, you go, <gasps> right. right? You inhale. So if I said, put your body in a position where you could drop the biggest elbow on my head, you'd go, yeah, you do that, right? And so if I came to grab you and you went, ah, and you did that, and then you just dropped that elbow from there, or slam that palm strike, or gouge my eye. But it's counterintuitive to move from the flinch because nobody said, <clears throat> you know, there's no T-Rex in the room because they didn't flinch. But cavemen flinched and they developed the, the spear out of that. And, they, and what it is is a tactical trinity of we're out hunting and we go, the first hand signal was a caveman going, hey, I don't hear any birds or crickets. <laughs> like things got really weird, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that, and you've experienced that. Like there's something wrong on mm-hmm. the other side of that door. And you either trust that or you don't, choose safety. If there's nothing wrong, choosing safety, you're still safe. If there is something wrong, you're safer. You're safer, triangulating on the potential danger, mm-hmm. right? You're, and you're, you're still safe. So the, the whole thing is that tactical trinity of, of situational awareness. I'm going to get a fear spike. So what I do, what I add when people talk about fight or flight, I go, wait a minute, there's another component here. When I fight, I want to be in control, especially in this day and age of smartphones. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just say, I was in the fight syndrome. I don't know what I did. I want to know, no, I hit this person 11 times because 10 times didn't work. Mm-hmm. And that's lawful, moral, ethical, legal. If, uh, and I don't want to run because running just out of the flight syndrome also contributes to PTSD. I want to run because I practiced 
uh, proper running mechanics. I worked on my aerobic <laughs> capacity. You know, I'm, and I'm making fun, but like, like it's that it's no different than like some Sun Tzu art of war. Mm-hmm. You know, know your enemy, know yourself, mm-hmm. know the terrain, mm-hmm. right? And so, if I'm closing up shop and I see something weird, and I kind of act, I act on it, and I and I've thought about what would I do if on my way to a bank deposit I thought I was going to get held up, and I thought about that. And I played that out, well, I'm going to drive to the police station, or I'm going to do this or do that. Mm-hmm. God forbid that happens and you do that. While it was scary, you high-five yourself for being so proactive, mm-hmm. right? But the, the people that talk to me who go, um, like my daughter had an incident at a, uh, like, a, uh, she was out with my, uh, Madison's out with Olivia, and she thinks somebody's following them. And she'd heard me talk about this stuff, and she does this whole charade with her cell phone where she picks it up, like pretending to be to do a selfie, sees the guy in the reflection, he's paused, doesn't like it, grabs Olivia, pretends to make a phone call, they move. She tells me the whole story, like, there's so many creeps out there, and here's what I did. But it wasn't like, Dad, I think I was almost attacked. You know, like, and it was like, wow, how did you put that together? You know, and it was just that, like, mm-hmm. the ruse and the distraction and, and having a plan and... Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what and that's what we want. So we teach people how to think, and it's all about managing fear. And what I was getting at is, is you can't just have situational awareness, and you can't just have like a black belt in every martial art in the world, mm-hmm. because there were a lot of really good fighters that fought Mike Tyson in his prime, mm-hmm. and you could tell when they walked in the ring that the fight was over, right? You can give somebody a whole bunch of weapons, you know, and and teach them how to shoot, and they're still going to lose that gunfight. Mm-hmm. Right, the secret in everything in life, we and we just we say it right up front in our seminars. Fear throttles everything we do, or it it is a fuel for what you do. Yeah. It's how you look at it, and and who you marry, how much money you make, where you live, how much weight you lift, whether you defend yourself or not, is going to be governed in some way by how you manage fear. Mm-hmm. And 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 really, that's the essence. And I can't think of a single more important skill set than the ability to protect yourself or a loved one. That you would trade everything you have materialistically. Yeah, for sure. In, in a heartbeat. <clears throat> Here's a, you know, I think one of the scenarios that most people are probably <clears throat> deadly um, fearful of is when you're not targeted singularly, yeah. but you're in the place, like happens. the Paris Theater, when, right. s- when some guy walks in with a freaking machine gun. Right. And, you know, to me, it's the Todd Beamer approach, right? It's like, Everybody, including you, are much safer if you move to the danger right. and take it out as opposed to hide. Right. Right? Right. Or run. If right. you run, you're going to get trampled and shot. If you hide, right. you're going to get hunted. Right. right? You may get lucky, right. but you're, you're potentially you know, being hunted. And oh, by the way, 30 other people are getting shot. Right. But if the three or four people closest to that shooter attacked... Right. It would have taken them down, yeah. and it would end in the threat. So it's kind of like the the guys on the train in Paris, yeah. or outside of Paris. So so yeah, yeah. they were sheepdogs. They saw something weird. The guys going in, they you know they're like something's right. not right. Right. And so they got up and just waited outside the bathroom because they knew what was going down. And then right. as soon as these guys came out with their weapons, they took them down. They saved probably hundreds of lives. Yeah. Now what's interesting? So how there, do we get more sheepdogs like that? I mean, does so your system it, help that type of thing? I listen. I mean, I've got lots of stories where people have the sheepdog response, but it's they either 
actively or intuitively manage their fear. It still, right. it still comes back to, you know, fog The flinch of war. response happens in their mind and they well, move the towards the So the startle flinch is a mechanism that goes from the mind through the body. So right. the startle happens in the mind, <clears throat> the flinch happens in the body. Mm-hmm. So I can, you know, so if I go, okay, kids, close your books. There's going to be a surprise quiz today and it's worth 25% of your mark. And then your kid comes home, right? Or you come home going, I failed that, I bombed that. Well, that was like, like an exaggerated, I, I blew a circuit in my mind, the startle overloaded, and I blew that. When, when it manifests itself in the body, something startled me here, the flinch, the flinch mm-hmm. happened there, and they kind of work hand in hand. Understanding scenarios and understanding the formula and understanding fear is is key. So you remember the No Fear T-shirt company, mm-hmm. right? You probably had a, you know a bunch of those shirts back in the day because they were they were cool. Because right. anybody who's Type A personality that was trying to get good at life, whether it was fitness, uh, combatives, uh, military, mm-hmm. the No Fear lifestyle was yeah. Whatever happened to them, by the way? Um, they're still around. It's they're, not No Fear. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> like I'm not sure where to go with them. The, yeah, thank you. Boom. <clears throat> But the, um, so no, they're still around. They, they're, they're really focused on like the motocross and, okay. and stuff like that. But um, so many, many years ago, almost 20 years ago, I wrote No Fear on a wall, on a whiteboard. And it was N-O, fear, and we talked about it. And, I, and, and the logic is a little bit more refined now. I go, the idea that there's a state of no fear perpetuates more fear. Mm. Because if you go into a situation where you go, I was told I was good to go. I got, I got my certificate. I got a pat on the back. I got a pat on the ass. I got pushed in here. Why am I breathing so hard? Why is my heart pounding here? Mm-hmm. Why am I sweating? Right. Why do I have tacky psyche? Fancy word for things that look like they're going in slow motion. Why do I have auditory exclusion? Why do I have tunnel vision? Yeah. Right? And so if you think about that incorrectly, and you know this, has there ever been in the history of battle, documented battle, uh, warriors that can't shoot? Shoot high, shoot low, and can't shoot. The classic book, Fog of War. Mm-hmm. It's the inability, it wasn't the training, it wasn't their body type, ectomorph, mesomorph, it wasn't they were, oh, these guys were 5'8". Five 5'8 eight. Five eight guys can't shoot. It was they couldn't manage their fear when it came time to do shit. And I really believe this is the missing opportunity for all of us. And it's the area that I've focused on since mm-hmm. I'm set, six years old, seven years old. Mm-hmm. Why am I afraid? How do I manage my fear? And the day I realized there's no such thing as no fear, there's only if I want no fear, I got to get to no fear, K-N-O-W fear. So what I would do on the board in the class, and be more dramatic if I had a little whiteboard here, but imagine I had no fear here, and then I write the K and the W beside the meaning. In, to manage your fear, you need to know fear. You need to embrace it. You need to look at it. I was just coaching somebody on the, on the phone the other night who's with, you know, had a big event coming next day, panicking in their head. I got on the phone. I said, listen, have you had this happen to you before? Yes. Did you die? No. Okay, so you're not going to die tomorrow. So that's good, right? And then mm-hmm. start laughing. And I go, listen, you need to look at the fear and go, you motherfucker, what mm-hmm. took you so long? And I thought I was going to get through it. And just laugh at it and be with it and use it as a fuel because now if you look at it in the wrong way, it can throttle what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And, and every, like Mike Tyson may not be the world's best role model, but just in terms of the, the, the formidable adversary he was in his prime. He used to throw up before fights. He was so afraid. But you didn't know that when he was walking down without a robe and his black shoes on. You're like, holy shit, I don't want to fight that guy. That guy was crying in the dressing room five minutes before. Mm-hmm. He puked in a bucket five minutes before, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how he managed his fear. Mm-hmm. Maurice Smith, I don't know if you know the name, mm-hmm. um, old friend of mine, 
uh, won a UFC. He's one of the best uh, uh, kickboxing champions in the world, Thai boxer. So I'm in a uh, 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 downstairs at, at some big fight, and he's fighting, and he's lying on a table, and he's got whatever the Beats headphones were of that era, and he's just lying there. And you can hear the cool rhythm of blues music listening. Um, and there's, there's another fighter that's sitting there like this and his legs going, right? <laughs> and then there's one guy, he's doing, he's doing this, he's punching him face. There's another guy, you know, shadow boxing. And everyone has their pre-fight ritual. Right, right. I say to Maurice, I study fear. I got to ask you a question. He goes, yeah, what's up? I go, uh, I'm looking around the room here. I see this guy's like vibrating over here. And this guy's shadow boxing. <laughs> and this guy's punching himself in the face. And you're lying here like arms crossed, legs crossed on the massage table listening to chill music right and uh i go like do you have like fear before the fight how do you handle that so he says let me ask you a question i go yeah what he goes do you have a job i go yeah i do he goes are you afraid to go to work i go no i'm not he goes me either right (laughs) and i was like wow now here's the thing like what a cool answer that's like a line from a movie right he'd gotten to the point in his life where he had fought so much and so consistently, and and it was his endorsements and his fight, and he would uh, kickbox here, he'd do MMA here, and it was like, okay, let's see, my schedule is, okay, I'm knocking out somebody on Thursday, <laughs> um, Saturday I'm going to choke out somebody, and I mean, he lost fights, you know, but he sure. would go in there, like every fighter, I'm going to win, but he only looked at, he looked at it like you and me booking a seminar, right? right? And it was amazing to me, but here's the most important point of this, if I didn't have the detached intuitiveness to look at everybody here and go, all these guys won tonight, now that I know that, if I had changed their pre-fight ritual, would they have lost? Those three guys on the Paris train, if they were alone, if it was just one of them, would they have hesitated? Right. Would they have moved? So it's much easier, you know this, from working with, with teams. Yeah, when you got a team, right? teammate. You know? yeah. But what we, what we need is, is that government of the self. We need to go, you know, I'm the commander-in-chief in terms of my decision-making loop. I'm also the special forces in terms of what I'm watching and, and relaying. Hey, did you see that? Mm-hmm. And I'm also, you know, that, that grunt is going, hey, you need to go over there and friggin' dig a ditch right now, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and so that's taking ownership and responsibility for my ability to protect myself, which is the most f- fundamental skill. What can I learn if I do this properly? Does there transcendent value? Am I a better uh, dad? Am I a better business person? Am I a better friend? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, and hopefully I never have to use it. And so we come back to you know, Paris, Orlando, and stuff like that. At the end of the day, you know, people don't even realize how many active shooters situations there have been in the States. Yeah. We did an article on it after the um, uh, the Colorado shooting, the, when Batman came out. Mm-hmm. And at that time, which is like two, three years ago, there were 28 shootings that no one had ever heard about. Just wasn't enough uh, bloodshed to make the news. Didn't fit the agenda, right? And most of them were stopped by the bad guy committing suicide. None of them were stopped by the cops. And any all of the, all the other ones a great percentage were stopped by the courageous bystander. Right. And, and so, like in our course, the Be Your Own Bodyguard course, when we talk about the Be Your Own Bodyguard principle, we actually say, slash, courageous bystander. Mm-hmm. That, that whatever you believe in, I always say, God forbid, but you know, whether, whatever you believe in, whether you're atheist or God or whatever, it's just a, an expression. Whatever you believe in, if your family was out somewhere and some 
psycho shit was happening, would you want some courageous bystander to fuck that guy up? Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. yeah. And so we need to, how do we inspire that in other people? It's really about managing fear. It's, it's, and if we, and this is why this whole, um, uh, reframe on no fear is so big. Uh, that, that there is no such thing as no fear, thinking that perpetuates more fear. And that if you want to get to a, a place where you can manage any fear, someone throws something at you and you go, whoa, because everything's a startle flinch, right? And, and, and it's like, oh, shit, how are we going to fix this? Uh, and uh, we got to get to no fear if we want to have, you know, no this state of no fear. Interesting stuff. So the, so the, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's really, Keeping it like Ernie and Bert coming up with a survival system. Ernie and Bert mm-hmm. from from Sesame Street. I know you're not old enough to remember Sesame Street, <laughs> but I am. Um, but how would Ernie and Bert teach? You know, like uh, like weapon defense. They'd say, "This is the hole. Don't be in front of the hole. Go." Right, and that's literally, literally, Mark. That's how I teach our 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 uh, uh, weapon protection class. Mm-hmm. I go, Ernie and Bert told us to me, and well, I'll have people and try this one time because you do some of that gunplay, right? Mm-hmm. You start off going, okay, this is the J, this is the eight, this is the here, this is, okay, move here and kick here. And you get people, hey, am I supposed to do this here? And they get into the analysis paralysis because they're trying to remember the complex motor skill. Mm-hmm. If you go, everyone stop and you get two puppets out, it's much more dramatic if you got the puppets, <laughs> but you don't have to do the puppets. And you say, guys, what comes out the hole? Okay, don't be in front of the hole. Start grappling with the gun. And you watch how intuitive, it's amazing how intuitive the body is. And this is what I've learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and this is why I tell people like, that we figured out how to hack teaching self-defense for category four. You can't hack, did you see the, uh, 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 the fight with CM, CM Punk, the no. UFC thing? No. So he's never had any fights, but he's well known from the wrestling world. He wants to do a fight, but because he's a big name and, and well-known, they give him a fight against Mickey Gall, who's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Been, you know, he's got two fights in the UFC, but he's been fighting for years. The fight lasted about nine seconds. But this whole build-up, you know, mm-hmm. weeks before and everything like that. And, and, and this guy, CM Punk, I don't know if that's his real name, went and trained with uh, uh, Rufus and a real camp and you know, really... Really so this trained. Guy wasn't a fighter, and he wanted to fight. He was a uh, he was a professional wrestler oh, okay. who like bro- like a Brock Lesnar, I think, uh, who said, "I want to fight." And so they went, "You're kind of a celebrity." Well, you know, anyone want to fight this guy? And this guy, Mickey, said, "I'll fight him." And he was like a new kid who had just like discovered him on one of Dana's shows of <laughs> looking for a fight. But the, like I've been telling people for 25 years, you can't fake stamina. Mm-hmm. You can't fake experience. You know. I think my buddy Marco Lala said you can't fake endurance. You know, mm-hmm. it's like there's like certain things that that people go like. Uh, and I remember one of my students years ago. He was he was like a prodigy. You'd show him a kick, he could do it right away better than you. You'd show him any move. He was like 17, 18 years old, and uh, you know we'd be warming up. And so some of the guys have been training with me for a year or two. When this guy Evan showed up, and he's there shadow boxing and moving like Sugar Ray Leonard and doing spinning kicks and like, and they go. I go, this is guy Evan I was telling you about, and they're like intimidated because we're going to spar. We got all our gear on. And they're like, coach, this guy's like amazing. I go, he picked up stuff fast. <laughs> right? And so, you know, I would make a joke. Experience. Right. And I go, but he's, he hasn't sparred. You've been fighting for two years. You're in the fear loop right now. This is what fascinated me being a coach because I was living vicariously. I'd see their fear in their eyes and their body. And I go, what's going on here? I don't know, am I ready to fight this guy? 
It's, I should be asking him, you sure you want to fight this guy? You. Really? Like, and watching that, that transformation, I got goosebumps now thinking about it, that's, and that's what I get off of, as do you, right? When, when one of your students has a breakthrough, whether it's in, mm-hmm. in fitness and yoga and fighting and minds and mental toughness, where somebody finally gets it. Um, but for me, the breakthrough, the secret, the key in the lock is always managing fear. Right. That, that if you didn't fear fear, what would you do? I was, I was having lunch with, with Coach Glassman, and he asked me this question. He says, he goes, T, why do you think some people won't fight? And in case you haven't noticed, I, I, I can get verbose and go off on tangents, mm-hmm. right? No, I didn't notice that. Good. I'll try, I'll try one right now. And so I start to go, well, Greg, you know, there's myriad reasons for it. And he interrupts me. He goes, isn't it because they're afraid to lose? Yeah. He just says, isn't afraid they're, they're afraid to get hurt, too. This is what he said. He That's goes, what I said. He goes, they're afraid to lose. Now, if we said, well, what do you mean by lose? Get hurt, get killed, yeah, get right, embarrassed, right. whatever. So he says, isn't it afraid? Isn't it because they're just afraid to lose? And, uh, and, and the reason I kind of, you know, and these are Greg's words. He goes, because if the fight's going to happen anyhow, and you agree to the fight, all you risk losing is the fight. He pauses, he looks at me, he goes, and if the fight's going to happen, no matter what, and you choose to do nothing, what you risk is losing everything. And he wasn't talking about your life, he was talking about the PTSD, he was talking about the self-esteem, the mm-hmm. dignity, the, mm-hmm. self, the self-respect. So, but at that moment, I still come back to, if you're afraid to lose, it's because you're afraid. If you're afraid, it's because you've got a, a lack of understanding on the neural circuitry of fear. Everyone, you know, I've had fighters, uh, I was training this one guy, uh, he's getting ready for a title fight, the door opens up, the ring, the the, uh, official for the kickboxing association comes in, he goes, 15 minutes, closes the door, his wraps are already stamped, his gloves are on, he's shadow boxing, couple people in the room, 15 minutes of the adrenaline, right? Mm -hmm. Here we go, and it's already there, but now it's like, now it's real. I go, hey, Sean, how do you feel? He goes, I'm good, coach. You know, I'm freaking nervous, but I'm good. I'm ready for this. I had a good camp. And I look at him. I go, Sean, you're supposed to be nervous. Mm-hmm. You're about to get in a fight. Someone's going to try and punch you really hard in the face, and you're going to try and punch him back. Okay, so you're supposed to be nervous, kid. And he goes, thanks, coach. And I'm like, going, that's a pretty good answer. You know? <laughs> and while I'm sitting there, Mark, something starts to nag at me. Like I gave him like a fortune cookie answer. Because I never asked him, and this is the peeling of the onion. We can't just say no fear. We've got to, in other words, to get to this place where we manage our fear, we need to know fear. And to know fear, you need to ask the question, what am I afraid of? Am I afraid of getting hurt? Am I afraid of of losing? Am I afraid of bleeding? Am I afraid of getting cut, getting shot? So if I can study that, I demystify that a little bit and maybe have more respect for the weapon or the danger. Mm -hmm. And then I agree to move towards the danger. And I said to this kid, Sean, I said, Sean, I want to apologize for that last answer. He said, I love that answer, man. It relaxed me, made me smile. I go, but I didn't ask you what you're afraid of. I mean, he could have been afraid of winning, losing, getting hurt, uh, his girlfriend's ringside, his parents are ringside. All these things are running through my head. I go, so what exactly are you afraid of? He says, now in amateur kickboxing, it's a four-round fight uh, or, uh, for title fights. All mm-hmm. regular fights are three-round. He says, look, I've done 10 rounds preparing for this, like, you know, consecutive. He said, but it's the first time I'm actually doing a four-round fight. And I don't know, it's stupid. 
I'm a little nervous about it. What if I don't get my kicks in? What if I don't have enough energy in the fourth round? And I'm like, I would never have guessed that, but he would have walked out had I not forced that conversation. He'd have walked out carrying the weight, wondering, yeah. carrying the weight of that, and he might not have got his kicks in in round two or three, been or maybe tight, mm-hmm. trying to conserve and, and 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 got hurt. So I looked at him and I said really quickly, I said, Sean, can you do two rounds? He goes, Yeah. I said, So just do two rounds twice, mm-hmm. and he smiles. And that's what we did. And the, at the end of the second round, I go, I go, dude, can you do two rounds? I'm squirting water in his mouth. He goes, yeah. Now, amateur boxing is a 16-foot ring. So you've got a foot on each side, so it's 14 feet inside. You can hear the other corner. And right there, just like we're in a bad boxing movie, the other guy in the other corner looks up at his coach just after I said that to Sean. He goes, coach, what round is it? Because you know, like, in certain, like when you're new to certain things, like, like that, that time mm-hmm. and space gets a little mm-hmm. messed up. Mm-hmm. But he went out and he won the title that, that night because, and if, if you said, like, hey, I got, uh, uh, I'm willing to defend myself and my family against one person, but I'm concerned about two or three, I would say just fight you know, one person three times. One person at a time, right? Yeah. You've got to break the math down. Mm-hmm. This, the, and listen, if, if, going back to what Greg said, it's a choiceless choice. If the fight's going to happen anyhow, it go back to what you said mm-hmm. with active shooter, you can't hide under the desk. Mm-hmm. If the guy's there and he knows you're hiding, he's going to kick you in the face. You just made it easier for him to kick you in the face or shoot you in the face because you're on the fetal position, mm-hmm. you know, on the, on the floor. Right. You've, if it's a choiceless choice, you've got to get into the fight. And the mm-hmm. only way to do that isn't to think, I need, I need uh, to have a black belt. I need to do this. In fact, I always tell people, there are more people who defend themselves every day through sheer will and indignation than there ever will be trained people who get attacked and then successfully defend themselves. Mm-hmm. In fact, and you probably know this, I know this, there are countless stories of trained people getting their ass kicked mm-hmm. yeah. by the by the douchebag in the street because the douchebag in the street is a is a violent encounter and this guy has an unconscious bias to go look man i don't want any trouble but he's trying to get the two o'clock and mm-hmm. get to this outside position or mm-hmm. set up his favorite move right where he just needs to be going right through that guy mm-hmm. wow all right hey let's let's wrap this up yeah let's uh, do it uh, we got we got some we things go. to do. I got to go go face the city tonight. I got a meeting at four too. <laughs> you? So. Well, you got ten minutes to get there. Good for you. Yeah, it's a phone. So, so um, people can find you by googling Tony Blower. They they can do that, and, uh, and everything pops up. So. Yeah, we got a new do you website. Have a primary website. Okay. Yeah, we got a new website called Blower Spear. Blower Spear. Okay. Yeah, B L A U E R Spear. Dot com. Dot com. Okay. Yeah, and uh, a lot of cool stuff. We're, Is there a, a dot spear uh, TDL anymore? I mean now. So you could get Blower.Spear. I, I got to like look into that. Go check that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, they go to the website. All that information's there. Uh, how to contact me, the different courses we have for law enforcement, for military, corporations, citizens, CrossFitters. Okay. It's mm-hmm. all there. Excellent. Okay. Dude. And um, where should someone start if they have no experience? Y- you know what? The truth, the truth of the matter is approach your personal safety even like we, like when we train cops and military, we go, listen, you haven't been taught this stuff. You think you have. So forget everything you've known. But, but, For but it's, yeah, like we'll just, just suspend judgment and absorb it. Listen, good information doesn't displace other good information. Mm-hmm, right. right? If, I, if, I, if I show you something good and you have something there that's good already that works for you. And you got two good uh, things. Yeah. You got two good things or you just go boom. It just, like it just bumps it. You don't, mm-hmm. you, like you don't need it. If you got some, if I sh- give you a really good gun and you got a shitty gun, you're going to go, oh my God, this one's always jamming. Thank you. But, you know, if, if this one works all the time, you go, now you got a backup. And so it's just, uh, you know, we make people practice both sides because it doubles their arsenal. 
right? right? But most people only practice their dominant side. <clears throat> so the approach on this, where do you start? Is you start going, in, first of all, it's, it's self-awareness of saying, would I know what to do to protect myself and my family? Not being cavalier, you know, tell people, don't let ego pride dictate your next fight. So or your next strategy, because, uh, you know, the, the reality is when, when we come at it with one of the three categories, and this is like some people who, I'm sure there's a lot of people who train, who are going to have to maybe re-listen to this or sleep a couple of days because they're pissed off <laughs> going, he said I'm in category one, that means I'm not prepared for category four. Right. What I'm asking you is this. Your instructor and your training might have prepared you for Category 4, but when do you want to find that out? So it's really, you should introspect going, you know, what's it going to cost me to spend a day in one of these Blower Tactical courses and make me and my family safer? And if I've already got good information, I got reinforced, or maybe it filled my toolbox a little bit, or maybe I understood fear in a, in a different way. So, you know, you, you, you can't start anything without self-awareness going, I'm going to check this out. Right. Yeah, I agree. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, sir. Let, let's make As the world always. safer. Who you yeah, are. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, you heard it from Tony Blauer, world's foremost expert on the psychology of knowing fear. There we go. I wonder if we made a shirt that said KN, Kano Fear, if we get sued. We're, 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 we're coming out with a few, so we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right, guys. That's it for today. Train hard, stay focused, get to know whether you truly can defend yourself, your loved ones, your family. Uh, and if, if you have any doubt, then it's time to do something about it. So go to Tony Blower Spear, Tony Spear. Blower Spear. Blower Spear. You'll find it. Google it. Or just call Mark. Just leave a message for Mark. <laughs> yeah. Call me at 1-800-TONY-BLOWER.COM. <laughs> All right. Out here. Hoo-yah. See you next time. I only publicly support companies and products that I personally use and have found valuable. So I wanted to tell you about Qualia. Now, I'm not a supplement geek. I don't find them useful if I'm fueling properly. But when it comes to my cognitive strength and brain health, I am excited about the emerging industry of nootropic supplements. I've been testing Qualia, designed by my friends at the Neurohacker Collective, for several months now. And it's on the bleeding edge of nootropic research and has become the one supplement that I won't go without on a daily basis. Qualia stimulates what's called broad-spectrum cognitive enhancement, which involves optimizing multiple cognitive variables simultaneously rather than focusing on a single variable. For example, it brings me greater ability to focus and makes me feel more connected while not diminishing my overall awareness of the environment. I experience a systematic enhancement of my brain's ability to take in and process information without any stimulating effect, which would make me feel agitated like caffeine, or depleted after the effect wears off. Now, for a busy entrepreneur and athlete like me, it's a no-brainer to invest in my brain health with Qualia. You can get on the Qualia bandwagon with me by visiting neurohacker.com, that's N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com, and use the code UNBEATABLEMIND15R, that's UNBEATABLEMIND15R, to get 15% off the life of your order. Trust me on this one, you won't be disappointed with Qualia. Lock and load, boys. Time to explode, boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen of the UTT.